Joe Learn D, podcast episode 92, Business Ops Caravan, uh, v- VP of Business Ops, class director of data science, drinking a, so I actually opened this right before, I just like uh, absentmindedly opened this, usually I'd crack it on air, but I got a uh, pretty saucy buzzball chocolate teas cocktail, since Anthony Brady passed the uh, R&D co-host, gave me shit on Twitter for uh, for not drinking anything, he said oolong green tea last time, it's got premium vodka, Orange wine and cream with natural flavors, baby. And then we got Kyle Wasberger, uh, principal sports scientist, driveline baseball, uh, drinking a water. <laughs> Dude, the the last time have you ever had one of these? The Buzz Balls? No, I have not. No. Have you seen them? No, I've no? never <laughs> seen them before that. <laughs> They're like, I mean, I th- I th- I'm pretty sure, like, I've seen them a bunch of places, but I'm pretty sure they're a mainly West Coast thing. I had one, um, I had one on one of the R&D podcast episodes when I was doing my Walk Up California. I, I've had it for uh, Luis's podcast episode, because it was kind of funny, because it looks like a more kind of degenerate drink. <laughs> and, and it was like 19 at the time, too. And I was like, um, I, I had just gone into a hotel for the day, so I was like rushing to, to, to make it on time. I just grabbed like a quick thing I saw at the, at the gas station, but yeah, dude. This one's kind of tasty, uh, but yeah, they're pretty weird. I also, re- I also had an espresso martini less than 36 hours ago, so I feel like similar <laughs> similar vibes. But I'll have to give it anyways, a try. Um, what's up? I'll have to give it a try sometime. I got I got to fill in the degenerate um, drinking talk since like it's, uh, we've been kind of missing it since Lindley and, and Brady aren't aren't close anymore. <laughs> Last one, I mean, well, Bodie held it down for Rainier, but. Uh, Angles doubled me up on oolong green tea and then New York a straight straight so or actually no he used to have been a ghost energy drink, which is like <laughs> pretty pretty ruthless. But anyways, um, yeah, I mean, you want to talk about uh, a little bit about the the sports science department and, and what it's looking like? Obviously, you mentioned you, you know you got a promotion in the last couple months uh, as a couple senior members in R and D. But uh, yeah, what's what's the what's the new look for uh, drama sports science? Yeah, so. Uh, we said goodbye to four full-time, uh, pretty senior, uh, sports science people, right? Or R&D people. Um, the budget for counting Besky or not. You can do a point five or Besky. Point five. Um, so yeah, I, I, I listened to last week's episode. You guys touched on it. We won't, yeah. we won't uh, go into it too much, but yeah. Uh, now it's kind of Kyle Bodie is back as the interim director of R&D, and then we got Joe Marsh as the principal engineer, me as the principal sports scientist, uh, we got Gretchen and Luisa, and then we got our intern class coming in that we're super excited about. So a little bit slimmed down of a department, but uh, luckily uh, we've got things uh, to a point, at least on the sports science side, where you know we're, we're pretty good at automating, we're pretty good at um, you know minimizing the actual amount of human labor hours that it takes to generate our, our deliverables for our athletes and our trainers. So, um, yeah, the, the sports science vision is, is pretty exciting going forward. Um, you know, Kyle, Kyle Bodie's great about doing vision stuff and I'm pretty excited for where we're headed. Dude, and, and you guys are fast as fuck, right? You got like three or four interns already. Uh, uh, by the way, I just extended, uh, I, I just hired a first data engineering intern. Yes, the other day. I'm, I'm still. I'm basically just running the application process until it closes in like a week, and then I'll, I'll just. There's a couple of people I haven't reached out to for first interviews. A couple of people I just reached out to for second round interviews. Um, 
So so we'll see how many we get. I don't really have a like strong number as long as the people are, are, are qualified, I think, for the job. Um, and we, we don't crazy over hire. I'm open to more people. But, yeah, you, you, guys, went, you guys got, like, what, three or four interns? Yep. So we've got three and a half. Well, yeah, three and a half. Um, so we're splitting Alex Eldridge uh, between high performance and sports science. Uh, then we've got Hannah, Nick, and uh, Jason, and then Clayton as well. So uh, lots of qualified applicants. Uh, it was pretty crazy sifting through those applications, um, seeing the resumes. Um, pretty exciting. But, yeah, we, we pulled the trigger, and I think we got it all done in a matter of three or four weeks from uh, the post opening to finally sending out all the offer letters. So that's pretty fast, I think. <laughs> That's the way to do it. I mean, ideally, I'd, I'd make my, my my hiring process uh, smaller, but I, I just want to do a – I just forgot to sacrifice my own uh, sanity to, to give as many people as possible a shot, bro, but it is one of the most distracting things to constantly have an application process because you, you just got to be staggering people, you know, yeah. through all the different stages, like get back to these people by X week, blah, blah. Um, but, yeah, I will, so I was going to ask you, so Hannah's already started. Is she the only one that's already started? Yeah. Yep. Uh, our other applicants weren't well. So Alex is already here. Um, he's not yeah. with Sports Science yet. He's still with High Performance, but so he's technically started. Um, and then yeah, Hannah's here. Uh, Hannah's in the building. She's been here for over a week now, I think. Uh, getting trained up in the lab, learning how to run everything, uh, getting the reps in there. Uh, kind of low athlete volume right now, so uh, it's taken a little longer, but. She's doing great, and then our other our other interns are starting in May because uh, they're both in school and they can't get here yeah. uh, before then. So, um, yeah. And, and one of them is supposed to um, go to AZ, right? To be to be hands on sports science yeah. there. Yep. So Hannah's going to be heading up uh, AZ, uh, which was which was great because she was able to start uh, right away, get trained up. She'll be here for two to four weeks or whatever it's going to be. Uh, and then she's going to transition down there to take over motion capture uh, responsibilities from the staff there. So. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, I was going to say to you on the sports science end, I know we touched on it briefly with, with Bodie last week, but I was curious to kind of hear your, your perspective on some of the projects. Um, and also, honestly, talk about some of the projects that we didn't really get to talk about too much over the winter. I, I think I might have talked about it. Honestly, you know when, when, I, when I talked about it, I think I talked about it on uh, Ian Bach's podcast, Bach, Bach Talk, this like CSS, uh, CSS, CSS, CSS is a program, programming language, this HTML strength coach. Uh, uh, I, I talked about it a little, like some of the Canatrax models that we worked on. Um, and, and obviously we, most people know, I think we do like enterprise, enterprise like deals with, with certain teams and, and, and third parties. And some of the stuff we know, we build to specifically monetize and sell most of the time we're really looking at stuff that also advances our understanding of, of baseball research and, and, and things that we can potentially apply on the training floor on the back end of our models uh have them be software out on so it's, it's it's always tricky to handle because we don't you know because we do have several product lines that intermingle together but we have less of a direct track like if we sell this this will make or break this quarter you know like we, we don't really operate like that it, it, it's hard to really put too much weight in whether like one model or, or, or another like gets a ton of external attention or especially like right away. But, but I think the, the couple contracts models we really worked on all have a bunch of valuable um, 
I'll, I'll have a bunch of valuable, like, I mean, that, that, like specifically endpoints. Like one of them, we, I mean, I, again, I want to let you, I want to let you talk about it. But I talked about this with uh, Ian. I talked about our uh, deception model, explaining some of the residuals in our um, Premier Pitch Stuff Plus model, and that obviously is encouraging for anyone that kind of understands the way you validate a model. Obviously, there's going to be, you know, a you want to make sure what you're validating against has value, right? So we were basically coming up with a XERA model. And we want to compare that, you know, we, we, we split between training tests and validation data sets. We compare it to like what the actual ER is. Um, obviously no model is really going to be one-on-one on predictiveness. So you would look at like the things that stick out, are there patterns in the residuals? That's maybe not such a good thing. Cause that means you're like, you know, leaving out a confounding variable or, or have a confounding variable in there. Like whatever, right? there could be a ton of stuff. Um, and I talked about the deception stuff, explaining a, quite a bit of the variance, I think of the residuals. I don't know. I don't remember the numbers off top. But yeah, we had that uh, similarity scores, and then um, pitch tipping. But yeah, you, you you were you were heavily involved in, in at least two of the three. So I, I want to hear you talk about it a little bit. Yeah, uh, the way Kyle Bode always says it is that our problems are everyone else's problems, which I think is a good way to put it. So like, if we yeah. solve something for us, we're going to be solving it for our customers too, because right. we are also just training athletes. Um, you know, not every other company out there is, you know, boots on the ground training, uh, trying to do player development themselves. So uh, they may or may not know what uh, their customers' problems are, but we're trying to get players better. Our customers are trying to get players better. And so if we solve a problem for us, we are going to solve it for them as well. And I think that's a good way to look at it. And yeah, one of the things we tried this last offseason were to develop, uh, you know, biomechanical models, uh, one of which was the occlusion deception score, uh, one of which was pitch tipping, and one of which was mechanical similarities. Um, I was most involved, I was kind of head on the deception slash occlusion stuff, and then I was kind of second fiddle for the other two. Um, but yeah, uh, the the occlusion stuff was pretty encouraging. Uh, like you were saying, you know, you know we, d- we get our best stuff plus or our best expected ERA model. Obviously, it doesn't account for 100% of everything, and you probably don't want it to, right? You want it to kind of, yeah. you want to examine the residuals because there's information in the residuals themselves. Uh, and so we were able to go in, look at the underperformers, overperformers uh, from our current, you know, best models and see if we could gain any more insights using in game biomechanics data. And we were. Um, I don't, I, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head either, but it was a not insignificant, uh, you know, improvement in the model when we included uh, kind of those weighted deception scores. Uh, And so those were pretty much just derived from when the ball was hidden from view from the hitter, uh, from the batter's box point of view. Um, And then we up-weighted occluded frames closer to ball release, down-weighted occluded frames further away from ball release. So... Uh, you, you got less credit for hiding the ball behind your uh, or behind your torso, like as your hand separated, uh, but you got more credit for hiding the ball, you know, kind of during arm acceleration as the as the arm was unwinding. So, I would say the results were good enough for uh, Daniel Coyne to write several paragraphs at like two a.m. or whenever he dropped those yeah <clears throat> those validation results yeah uh, in, in our in our uh, Kinetrack channel. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I thought I thought it was really cool, and, and again. Whether or not we 
maximize the third part viability of that. Like, you know, this last winter, I think like the, the ground, groundwork we laid and potential, like even just talking about it and, and putting stuff out there uh, on, on, the, on the blog or however we want to talk about it, it is going to move um, our position and, and the, you know, on the edge of research forward and just open the discussion about how to measure deception. Cause I don't really think too many people have actually tried to quantify like we have, you know, or, or been able to, right. Cause we, we're, we're lucky we have such high precision data across so many data points. Most people just talk about deception and you're they're I mean, a, either you talk about deception very generally, or B, you talk about deception from a variance release point point of view, which has plenty of merit, but that's really, or you talk about deception as like a ratio of horizontal break to vertical break, like there's stuff out there, right? Um, but like breaking it down in terms of like the actual, you know, skeleton basically, and, and how it moves through the phases, I think is, has, has been fairly rare. Um, do, do you want to touch a little bit on the other two models too, just to kind of get, give people a little bit, a little bit more to, to chew on on, on Kinetrax wise? Yeah, so the, the pitch tipping uh, was kind of, I think it was the one we we did last, and that was uh, just looking for particularly early mechanical differences between pitch types is kind of like the, yeah. the one-sentence summary. And by early mechanical differences, we're, talking, we're basically talking about before foot plant. Um, yeah. So uh, from the point in time when the pitcher starts their motion to the point where that stride foot hits the ground, are they doing anything uh, significantly different between uh, pitch types. And so, uh, you know, probably stuff that's coming to mind to the listeners is like hand position, you know, maybe coming set higher or lower, uh, coming set further or closer away from the body, uh, maybe separating the hands slightly sooner, slightly later. Um, and that's what the in-game high frame rate biomechanics data allows us to do is we get that full signal, uh, full time series signals that we can go in, not only look at discrete discrete parts of that, but also look at temporal aspects of it as well. So how fast are they separating? Um, do they separate later relative to foot plant? Do they separate earlier? And so um, that was pretty exciting. And then the, um, the similarity scores was uh, kind of just the inverse of the pitch tipping model, looking for uh, between pitcher similarities bet- uh, during the pitching motion, but not just limited to before foot plant either. Also including after foot plant and all the way up, up to batteries. So, um, did, did, did you have to, um, I actually forget, this is a general question. Did, like, how did you guys, how did you guys line up uh, the, the events, like foot plant and um, ball release? So we, um, we, we made ball release zero, and then we just looked, we didn't time normalize or anything. We just went a set number of frames before ball release. Um, I forget what that number was, but like part of, uh, being similar mechanically is doing things at a similar rate. Right. And so we didn't want to, uh, you know, for example, take peak knee height to ball release, normalize that to a set number of frames and look at guys in between there um, because that that can like stretch or smush some guys' uh, full signal relative to each other. We wanted to, ha- we wanted right. to keep time, time, if that makes sense, uh, in, in like pure seconds and just look at a period of time prior to ball release. Uh, same thing on the hitting side prior to contact, you know, not 
temporally normalizing anything, but actually just looking 100 frames prior to ball release or contact or wh whatever the number was. I don't. Yeah, yeah. Was, but. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, I, I was going to say, um, and we haven't really put out too much open source stuff about this, right? Or not open source, like we haven't really talked about it publicly too much. I'm assuming besides like maybe a couple of tweet threads. Yeah, I think we spill the beans on Ian's podcast. I think I think occlusion got the most social media play, but that's just because the it was the one we got first. Um, yeah, it yeah. was it was our first one. It was kind of the lowest hanging fruit, and in talking to our our partners, it was kind of the one that like perked the eyebrows the most. And so that's kind of the one the one we tackled first, and so that one got the most social media play. Um, but yeah. Um, what about, what about recent stuff, 2023 stuff? I know, like I said, we talked about it a little bit. I, I would like, uh, I'll go detection of, of marker gaps to kind of automate cleaning, which, which, which I want you to unpack a little bit for anyone not familiar with too, too much of, uh, biomechanical models and, and just what it looks like on the, on the back end when you, you know, grab the skeleton through multiple frames, try to get valuable data from, and then, uh, I mean, I mean, I was going to say forward dynamic stuff. I, I, I queued it up for. For Bodhi, I don't know how much. I mean, that might just be that might be specifically more of a Joe project. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I was just curious to hear you you talk about the, the last couple of months on uh, on Sports Science and Yeah, so for anyone not super familiar with handling motion capture data, uh, basically, as soon as we hit stop on the recording, uh, we've got to do a bunch of cleaning, and it's pretty monotonous. It's pretty uh, tedious. And basically, we've been looking at a way to automate that um, while we stand up markerless motion capture in-house, which also solves this problem. Um, but because that's not going to be, like, right away, we need a way to... And if it does, it's not going to be as, as high, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, markerless is still going gonna to get a ton of work going forward and probably... I mean, it's an interesting philosophical question. When slash... If do you think markerless will, will be just as high fidelity as, as a marker based? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, for, I mean, for some kinematics, it's there already. Like, uh, yeah. you know, but for baseball pitching and specifically axial rotation. Okay, against some play, baby, let's go. Broadcast, um, you know, so for, for some stuff and especially, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, it, it's definitely good enough already. Uh, yeah. And I think we're, we're going to so we're going to so many cat fans <laughs> now after this, this podcast yeah, episode right now. Uh, I, I'm clipping this and, and, and posting this on Twitter. <laughs> um, just in terms of scalability and yeah. and the labor savings, like markerless is going to be the way to move forward. Um, but doesn't mean that uh, markered is immediately obsolete, right? There's, I think there will yeah. be a place for it. And so we want to be able to do both well. Uh, we want to be, be able to do both better than anyone in the space because that leaves us flexible and uh, we can do anything there, right? So, um, but for markered motion capture, uh, if, a, if a, one of the reflective dots isn't visible uh, for us, certain frame it just disappears and we need to do what's called gap filling to kind of uh, extrapolate where that marker would have been if we could have seen it during uh, during the motion capture take and so right now that's a completely manual process done by you know skilled 
uh, motion capture people who know what they're doing. Um, but uh, we are, it is possible to automate it because, you know, we, we know what, uh, we know the underlying math between telling, or we know the underlying math for telling the computer where a marker is relative to other markers. Uh, we just need to build out the algorithms to do it. And so that's what uh, particularly Joe has been working on. I've been helping them do quality checks uh, as we kind of build out that, the algorithm as a whole. Um, and we're getting there, we're getting closer. And so we're basically comparing a bunch of uh, uh, motion capture takes that go through this automated algorithm to the same takes that were cleaned manually by our skilled uh, motion capture staff. Um, and if the differences in those marker positions are under a certain threshold, we call that a successful automated gap fill. Um, and then we look at, you know, what percentage of takes can we get a complete success rate on, you know, 100%. And early returns are pretty promising. We're, it's, you know, somewhere between 70 and 90% uh, of, the, of the takes, depending on which markers are gone and for how long. Um, and we're pretty excited because uh, once that is done, uh, once that is in production, it's going to save us a lot of labor hours per week. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely the juice I was looking for. Cause, cause, yeah, yeah, Bodhi, like, mentioned uh, similar things. But I, I think, I think, I mean, A also is, is a pretty fun project because you have such a wealth of data of, like, knowing what a good, uh, a good, clean, marker-based, like, output looks like. So... You almost don't have to worry. I mean, obviously, like you, you almost don't have to worry about coming up with the hypothetical end result. You just have to like take it one by one, build up the logic, see where you fail, see see where the metrics kind of don't trend as high. Um, no, I, I mean, I like to tell too. I'm excited that that we're, we're finally doing this, and it seems like you know it's one of the things. Things once you do it, it feels like, and we should have been doing this all along. So I, I'm excited for that. Um, I was going to say also uh, pivoting a little bit. We well, AI mentioned this last week, but we're going to be doing a saber presentation together. <laughs> and uh, and what is that? A couple of weeks? When is it? Early yeah. um, March. So yeah, two three weeks. From yeah, I need I, I need I need to book this up today. It's in it's in three weeks. Yeah, and we got to send the, the slides in two weeks. So it's going to be a, a lot based off of um, our, our our general you know biomechanical data and work that's been done there. Uh, most of which you've authored. And you had your own conference, uh, well, not your own conference, but you had your own solo presentation. <laughs> Excuse me, ISPS, right? Yeah. Uh, International Society of uh, Biomechanics and Sports. Yep. Um, and yeah, well, a, I wanted to, I wanted to go over the slides and, and game plan a little bit for Saber. Like I told you over the phone yesterday when I was driving back from the gym, I figured live game planning, can, can, baby. Yeah, yeah, we, we can kill two birds with one stone. We can put a little bit of work on this and make content out of it. Uh, but B, I also wanted to hear how uh, how the presentation went. So I'm gonna try to share this for the first time on this uh, on this app. Let me know if you see the the screen. Yeah. Oh wait, it's still loading. Still loading. I think. Um. But so so when when did you give this presentation? Uh, this was what would have been last Wednesday, I think. Oh, let's go. You see it now? Yeah. Okay. Last Wednesday? Yeah. So, so also, how did, how did you get into this conference? Uh, so, uh, Dr. Christoph Kipp is the conference organizer for this year. He's at Marquette University. 
and I emailed him a while back uh, to get him on the Open Biomechanics project. Uh, just tell him about it, try and increase awareness for that. Um, and kind of we've been talking on and off ever since. And he's trying to get uh, a good baseball, softball presence for the conference this summer. And uh, so, yeah, one thing kind of led to another. Uh, and uh, ISBS holds these mid-year symposiums, which is what this presentation was actually for. So it's not during the actual conference, but it's kind of like halfway in between the conferences, mid-year. Uh, and they wanted to do one on uh, energy flow in baseball and softball, uh, pitching and hitting, and I got invited to be on it. And so, yeah, um, that's kind of how this came about. So, so uh, well, yeah, I was going to ask, how, how big is the whole conference? And, and you did it you did it remotely uh, then, right? Uh, it's been remote for the last couple of years, like everything, right? But it's actually going to be in person this year uh, at Marquette. Um, but the the symposium was remote, or the the mid year symposium was remote. Excuse me. Uh, oh, 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 that's that's one. That's okay. So it's the same thing you 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 DM me about saying tagging me in. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. nice, nice. Um, okay. But yeah, I don't know how big it is in total, though. That's a good question. Also, by the way, <laughs> this is why I was trying to like scarf down. I don't know if you saw. It. I was trying to scarf down one of like protein cookies right before the, I only got halfway through. Because honestly, I might be getting buzzed <laughs> off this, of this buzz balls. Dude, because all that today, I woke up today, I had some coffee at a protein bar, uh, and I had like two chocolates of like, or sorry, two squares of like dark chocolate with like almonds or something. And then ha ha have a, and then I went and worked out like uh, 40 minutes ago. I just went and grabbed a quick workout. And then, yeah, I was trying to uh, scarf down on Lenny and Larry's. And I don't even like Lenny and Larry's cookies that much. You know what I'm talking about? The vegan cookies? No idea. Sorry. Damn, bro, dude! I feel like we've spent this person amount of times in uh in gas stations. Well, for I don't even know if you can see the video on this screen share for, for when we export this to YouTube, but in case anyone can, this is what I'm talking about. Uh, I don't even like these that much. They're just like pretty protein or not protein. They're pretty like calorie dense. So, like I need some fucking food. Anyways, though. Um. So, so yeah. So so how how the how the presentation go? Uh. And and I'm down to like kind of like look over some of the slides and 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 say like what I think. We might want to change up for uh for, for saber. Yeah, uh, I think the presentation went pretty well. Um, nobody called me a dummy or anything, so it, it can't have gone too badly. Um, but yeah, I kind of uh, I talked about specifically any breaking down energy flow into energy generation, absorption, and transfer, uh, which is a kind of a subset of energy flow analysis that we can do with uh, biomechanics data. And then I talked about applying that methodology to the throwing arm. Uh, during pitching, um, kind of went over some previous research that's been done because uh, it's a it's pretty new to baseball actually the methodologies from like the 80s, uh, but it's only recently started to have been applied in uh, baseball. Uh, and then this is a beautiful plot for for our our, our visual listeners. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty the, proud uh, of the, the, the people who for the dissertation. Yeah, right? pretty proud of that plot. That's actually from our database. Um, just trying to show the nonlinear relationship between energy flow and, and VLO. Um, yeah. And fairly logarithmic for, for, for people that, that can kind of see it. Yeah. So it's a, it's kind of, it matches that kind of what I think of as uh, uh, old coaching wisdom of, you know, you got beginner gains where, you know, you, you can increase your VLO pretty quickly 
uh, when you're not throwing that hard, but as you throw harder and harder and harder, it becomes harder and harder to harder to gain velocity. And that's because uh, it takes more and more energy. Uh, you have to put more and more force in the ball to keep gaining velocity. Um, and so you kind of get that diminishing returns uh, phenomenon that, you know, people in strength and conditioning know about, people in uh, training know about, um, and that's that's kind of visible from, from the plot there. Um, and so, yeah, after kind of recapping the literature, I launched into how I think we can use biomechanics data for longitudinal player development uh, using Drivelines database uh, to give us an idea of what normal development even is. So I took basically everyone in our pitching database, I took, I took their initial assessments. So before they had undergone any training at Driveline, um, right when they came to us, we put them through a motion capture assessment, we see where they're at, um, and that's what results in the plot that you can't see if you're listening to this on, on the podcast, you gotta get on YouTube. Um, <laughs> but basically once we get that initial snapshot of the athlete, we can see where they fall relative to uh, what typical development could be considered, you know, so if they're below that best regression line, then, you know, we, we might say they're uh, underdeveloped or they're behind, uh, or if they're above that line, we might say they're ahead or they're, yeah, they're ahead. Um, and then, you know, we impose some kind of intervention, some kind of training program, right? And then we retest them, whether it's six weeks later or six months later or a year later. And then we can get another snapshot of where they are and we can see how they progressed. And then once we have where their test and retest are relative to each other, uh, we can kind of classify that into four main outcomes, which was the slide uh, with the grid on it. Um, and then based, basically based on how they move along that development spectrum, uh, we can say we were either successful or not with our intervention. And I think, this is a pretty basic way of how we can use biomechanics data, specifically longitudinally, to guide yep. uh, intervention decisions. Because if we're imposing interventions and we're consistently seeing that, uh, you know, guys are increasing how much energy they're transferring, but they're not increasing ball velocity, then, you know, maybe that's not that's not working for whatever reason. And so we can yep. kind of use yep. that to audit what we did. Uh, and improve those interventions over time. Yeah, which would kind of fall in the clearly bad category you're talking about, which means like increase, yeah, increasing elbow energy transfer, not increasing velo. Depends if you increase velo and elbow energy transfer, clearly good. If you increase velo, more so to increase elbow energy transfer, and then uh, counterproductive if you lose both velo and, and elbow energy transfer. Um, and, and, and for people wanting to kind of see some results. I mean, like the model was built off a uh, constant uh, times a natural log plus a plus another constant, and the R squared is 0.82, which is really high for, for this amount of athletes. So so for athletes, was it uh, yeah, 1,800 athletes? And all of them had retests? No. Uh, well, no, not all of them would have retests. It was just everyone's first assessment. Like, okay, 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 so, 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 no, okay, 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 got it. I wasn't sure if you were including retesting here to kind of, when you talk, talk, talk about the longitudinal tracking. No, so for the model building, I included only initial assessments, um, and then you can go in and you can uh, plot any any retests you want and see where yeah. they where they fell relative to the quote-unquote typical 
development trajectory. Um, also, speaking of, I was going to ask you, you got this Yoda meme in here. Are, are you like an OG or a new G Star Wars fan, or neither? Um, no oh boy. Uh, definitely thing. Eh, not, yeah, not really a Star Wars fan, to be honest. Um, I think I, I think they're good. I don't, and I understand that when the old ones came out, they were revolutionary. Um, but now, can can we admit that they're like okay, like now? Um, yeah, that, I, I'm not. I'm not like that. I should be like a pretty decent sized Star Wars fan, but but to be honest, I, I never watched the. Uh... I never watched the old ones initially. The yeah. first, like, I, I mean, I, I love Star Wars as a concept, but I think I, I think probably the first one I saw was honestly Phantom Menace, and like Phantom Menace is, like get, gets gets flack all the time. Have you seen Phantom Menace? Yeah, I've seen them all. Uh-oh. Yeah, so so I'm, I'm kind of saying both. Like, I, I mean, like obviously, like I'm not saying Phantom Menace was a great movie, but like the the, the world of characters was pretty interesting to me, and, and I was like reading books too, like. Like, they're not based, the canon isn't based in literature, but it's a huge franchise. Like, obviously, anytime a movie comes out, people, like, write books. And I wrote, like, uh, I read, like, a couple of good books that, that got me pretty engaged. And I, I, I think I saw, like, four through six between either one and two or two and three, you know? And, and to be honest, my favorite movie, and I know, like, any OG, any, like, hardcore Star Wars fan would, like, uh, trash me for, for this, but Revenge of the Sith, dude. I think Revenge of the Sith that is actually, like, a pretty fucking good movie. I love I love Anakin's heel turn in it. Um, it's like a more modern movie, so like the CGI and shit doesn't look as like janky, you know. Um, and yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think I think a lot of the old movies are. I mean, hey, yeah, like the concept was like pretty revolutionary. It was just like a, it's just a rich world, and then like Harrison Ford is like a charismatic ass Han Solo, mm-hmm. and it just yeah, I mean, it, it just got a lot of lot of lot of lot of, lot of fame. Uh, and, and a lot of traction, but yeah, and then I, and then I stopped watching after the seventh movie. Um, so I don't know anything about the Mandalorian, all the new stuff. But anyways, I, I, I saw the Mandalorian. Mandalorian's pretty good, and then yeah. Rogue One's my favorite movie. So we yeah, can get Rogue we can get Rogue lit up in the in the comments section for our Star Wars takes. But <laughs> Rogue One is good. Uh, yeah. So so I was gonna say the the, the thing I was thinking of. And I mean, this obviously like pretty clearly biased from what we were just talking about twenty minutes ago. But I wonder if so. Yeah, we, we talked about like we should probably spend less time talking about existing research. I think it's fine. I kind of still plug that I, I did for my separate presentation. Um, maybe look behind. We have like one or two slides. But I think we could talk about we could potentially talk about two other topics that might be really interesting for that audience because at Saber it's going to be a bit more applied. I mean, not that this isn't applied, but, you know, like, a bit more, like, on-the-spot applied to, like, an elite sample size or elite population. And um, schools and teams that have money or more money and, and more attention. Obviously, a bunch of, like, MLB teams and, and, and uh, front office are, are going to be there. I wonder if, you can, if, we, if it's worth talking about marker-based versus uh, markerless. Not that we've done... We did like a little bit of work in there, like comparing stuff, and I, I don't want us to like do any uh, obviously extra work there. But just like if we get, if we pull like any sort of like stuff we've written up internally on on, on validating that stuff, and and I, honestly, we 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 might be able to talk about that. Maybe we should talk about that off air before it volunteer us for too much work. Um, and and maybe just uh, rehashing some of the some of the contracts model stuff. We could have like almost like three prongs like. 
you know, building out a biomic lab, what to consider, two, like, player development applications, and three, like, sabermetric applications. Yeah, I think that'd be cool. Um, and, I don't and, and, know. I, I, I was going to say, last thing, I, was, I know it's, like, decently, I mean, like, I'm, I'm basically saying, like, squish this into, like, 40% of the presentation. Um, but I, I, and, and, like, that might be a little bit scary in terms of, like, we might... <laughs> We might we might might be like needing to, to drop uh, extra slides in, which I'd say I, I can help on. But given that it's only a thirty minute presentation in total, like I, I like I don't think we need to go like too too deep or be like too too uh, thorough and like nailing down the slides for that. Like all this stuff is like pretty fucking dialed. But if, if this is only like twelve to fourteen minutes, you know, the other stuff could yeah. be like almost like plug in results and then talk about like cool ideas we'd want to do in the future. If we had unlimited access to uh, an MLB teams like Marcos, uh because that might also be an interesting like angle to push, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that sounds fine. Um, I'd be scared on if uh, any markerless stuff we've done in the past is now outdated because uh, models have been updated. That would be my only yeah. thought. Um, yeah. So. I also brought it up because I was thinking about. I just saw that update. I think Joe dropped in uh, Live General with Thea. We have mm-hmm. we got Thea up and running. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, I'm assuming we haven't actually collected like too much. Too much like uh, I mean, it'd, it'd be impossible like logistically wise to have already collected like a ton of data on Thea and market based, right? Yeah, we've got we've got the videos from a couple weeks of paired collections, but. Uh, we're still dialing, uh, like, the lighting and the camera placement so that uh, Thea can can work the best. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're, it's not operational yet, so we don't have any actual paired data yet, uh, but we're getting there. Okay. I mean, yeah, maybe it's worth having, like, a slide or something there, just, like, uh, us talking about what, we, what we're kind of experimenting with uh, on the crossover of marker base and marker this. Um but yeah, I'll, I'll jot down all these ideas on, on on the slideshow after, and we can see what makes sense. Because um, again, I, I don't want to give us extra work, but I, I think that could be. I mean, fuck. Like if we talk about models that MLB teams want to buy in, in the presentation, that could definitely be appealing. Um, and just, I mean, yeah, on inclusion stuff, which got the most play on social media, like you said, we do have some validation stuff. We, we just gotta go back and find it in the channel. And I, I can I can hash that stuff together, and then pitch tipping. Did we ever do? I forget how much of a write up we ever really did on pitch tipping or similarity scores. I mean, similarity scores is like not really too much to validate. Uh, I mean, depending on how you look at it, right? It's just like these are the similar athletes. Like, can't, <laughs> you know, l- 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 less about like pr- pretty hard to disprove once you you just like lay out your methodology and either you disagree with it or, or don't. Um, but yeah. Yeah, the main thing with the, with the with the similarity score validation was showing that it was quote unquote better than a POI based uh, yeah. approach, right? So, like, can we get better similarity scores by looking at the full signal data versus just like point yeah. of interest district, discrete kinematic measures, right? And we saw that yeah, we could it it, it got. The, the increase in model complexity was worth it uh, because we saw, you know, more intuitive, uh, better matching similarity scores. 
Okay, nice. I, I didn't realize that. Okay, so so that'll be nice. Like, like I said, I, I think if we just have like a slide for each of the models, even um, and like a slide or two of like some some validation nugs, I think that sure would would play pretty well. Yeah. We, we just gotta make sure our, our presentation is like not too all over the place. But then again, I think I think we have frame it in terms of like biomechanical data in twenty twenty three. Um, you know, it's about optimizing your tech, player development, uh, and then also like just performance based. Okay on the field and then maybe like talk and then also like just name drop like Hawkeye and, and some stuff that Hawkeye obviously brought to the table that wasn't previously in there when Trackman was the main data provider for MLB. Um, that could be, that could be pretty damn juicy. I actually don't know if I wonder if Sabre 2023 speaker list has been released. Have, have you looked at it at all? Or, or, I have not. Oh, let's go. Okay. Let's see. I mean, let's let's see if um, Scott Bush put us on here, dude. Let me let, let, let me share, <laughs> let me live share uh, Google results. Um, oh, we got Nakamura on the biomechanical panel. Um, Mike Petriello, uh, Clint Nolly, Graham Goldbeck. I've I've talked to. But these are just. Uh, Okay. They haven't, they haven't, I don't think they've done speakers. Oh, wait. Rules change. Okay, yeah, we're going to talk about the pitch clock, obviously. Um, Art Kaplan, Homie. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Art Kaplan uh, left Data Robot and started working on his own projection system. Uh, or no, I don't know if he started working. I think I said because I saw Ari Ball, but no, I, I forget what he's doing. But he, but he did, he's doing something kind of surprising. Um, all right, well, hey, we got to tell them to put a uh, the driveline logo. I guess I guess we're not having a sponsor, but yeah. All right, I'm, I'm pumped for it. I'm pumped for it. Even though we, we don't know exactly who the the speakers are going to be. Do you remember when we're presenting? Uh, I think it was the 11th, the morning. Let me, let me look it up just a plug for, for anyone. Oh, yeah. Saturday, March 11th, 9.30 a.m. Oh, bro, that's going to be dangerous. You, you know we're going out in this costume on Friday night, dude. Got to reel you in Friday night. What's up? Got to reel you in Friday night. Dude, uh, did you ever listen to the dance podcast episode by any chance? A couple no. years ago? I don't know. Probably, um, but I don't remember it. You he, he told a story about... so so. In 2019, uh, 2019 is the only time I've been in, in, in person at Sabre. And um, Bodhi was talking. Dan was going to be there. And then, like, one or two of our coworkers were going to be there. And I um, I had a flight out from Seattle. Like, Bodhi started on, like, 8.30. And I had a flight out from Seattle at, like, 4 a.m. And my uh, one of my friends, uh, or, like, friend groups, these girls who live in Cap Hill, who I, I – uh, any, 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 anyone knows me in real life. I colloquially refer to them as the house elves, uh, long story, but basically their cat, it was their cat's birthday, the 94 Sabre. So like I went out with them for their cat's birthday. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, like I said, uh, we're, we're going to get a lot of cat fans after this, this podcast episode. And then I, I like, we are just out pretty late. So I was like, man, I'm just going to go straight to the airport. <laughs> so, so I said like, uh, you know, like half the call and Uber thing at like, 310 or like you know whatever like the latest possible got the uber uh like ate a sandwich at, at the airport like at SeaTac, just like to not pass out before i got on my plane pass on the plane stuff like two and a half hours 
got to the conference, uh, I, I figured it'd be like, uh, like, you know, coffee and refreshments or like nothing. Uh, walked up to Dan and, and our coworker, Marcus, and just immediately, I was holding like a cup of water, immediately tripped and like spilled water all over them as Bodhi was presenting. And you know, Dan, Dan tells a, a pretty funny story of it. But anyways, that's not going to happen this, uh, this Saber Go Around because they're presenting on Saturday morning. But all right. Um, yeah, now, now that I got people excited to, to come see if uh, we show up hung, hungover for a presentation. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm pumped for it. I'll uh, I'll jot down some some notes this weekend too, and then see what we what we think we kind of switch in. Because yeah, I mean we got a lot of choose, and I think we're gonna have a captive audience too. Either direction we go, so I'm excited. Yeah, it'll be my first time at Saber, so it'll be a good good experience for me. I'm excited to get down to Arizona, see the yeah. see driveline Arizona, see see yeah. all the guys down there. So yeah, definitely. Um, you want to talk about? You want to plug the Red Wings? Uh, win streak, five game win streak. They they're coming to coming to Seattle uh, tomorrow. Going to the game. Oh, you are. Yep. So trying to make it six in a row. Dylan Larkin's playing like a like a number one center. Um, goalies are hot, moving the puck well. So life is pretty good. Uh, I think we're two points out of a wild card spot with three games in hand. So definitely got a shot. Definitely got a shot. We'll see if they can uh, stay hot. But dude, uh, at least the Avs finally came out of their championship slump. They were playing so shitty to, to start to start the season. Well, I'll, I'll just double check it out. What's up? They were really injured to start the season. They're they're yeah. starting to get healthy and they're starting to get dangerous again. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They're what seventh? I'm looking at the standings now. Seventh, I think, in the West. Uh, third in the Central. Then we got yeah. Oilers, six, yeah. So, so Avs are seventh, and then Wings are a ninth spot in their conference, or tenth. Uh, uh, technically tenth, but yeah, they're, they're, yeah. Like I said, yeah, they're they're three points out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. And then Seattle's. Can't believe how good Seattle uh, has been. I don't think they've been playing super well recently, but they had that what, eight game streak, nine game streak. Yeah, they've been they've been pretty good all year. So it'll be a good game tomorrow. Saturday. Yeah, yeah. We, we, I, I fly back into Seattle uh, next Thursday. We should, we should grab a um, uh, growler guys with with Brady. Oh uh, yeah, um, if you're free, because yeah, I, I think he flies in. I think he flies back in from Clearwater same day. Okay. Yeah, you know I'm down. All right, let's go. <laughs> All right, sweet. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. Um, hopefully, this episode gave uh, any biomechanic nerds a. Uh, you know, had him pretty content. I don't know how it plays on, on anyone who's not a biomechanics nerd, but uh, I mean, no, we got we got cat homies, we we got cat lovers, satiated, uh, hockey fans, satiated a little bit maybe with the the talk at the end. Any buzz balls fans? I'm I'm here for the new stuff. Here. So for the for the what for the new for stuff? The niche yeah. stuff. Yeah. But all right, but we'll wrap it there, and uh, I'll, I'll see you next week. Sweet. Peace.